The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. That is part of our guided meditation as an introduction to the first factor in the Eightfold Path, Right View. I smiled when Kim talked about right being uh, the way to use a tool because I realized that she and I have been listening to the same Dharma talks, reading the same books, because that's exactly how I think about it too. Right, this doesn't mean doctrinally, morally right as opposed to wrong. It means appropriate, wise. And one of the books there, the, the Eight Mindful Steps to Happiness, the author uses the word skillful. So it's a way in which we use tools or something in a way that's helpful for what we're trying to do. So the Eightfold Path, as we say, is, is a path, as Kim said. But if you're going to walk on a path, any path, first you need to find it. And right view is one of the ways in which we can find the path, as well as being part of the path. It also also helps us see some of the milestones and the destination where we're going, if we think of the Eightfold Path as a specific path going somewhere. If you're not interested in walking the path, this path that's offered that the Buddhas that the Buddha talked about, the Noble Eightfold Path, then it's not necessary to have this right view. It's not something that everybody must do or else. If you're interested in finding greater happiness or freedom, the Buddha talked about, you can have right view. So just like the word right has different understandings, different way of thinking about it, so does the word view. Again, Bhante Gunaratama in his book, he uses the word understanding for view. It can be a perspective, an orientation, a way of looking at things. An English view can be like a noun and a verb. It can be, as I said, a perspective, an orientation, an understanding. It can also be a verb to watch, to notice, to see, to observe, And in my mind, these two different ways of holding view correspond to two different aspects of right view, the first element on the Noble Eightfold Path. So the first element is a little bit what I spoke about during the guided meditation. Something that we all know, we're all familiar with, is not rocket science. It's the world of cause and effect. Actions have consequences. What we do makes a difference. We don't have actions that don't make a difference, that don't have consequences. So what makes this idea of actions have consequences and cause and effect as part of the Noble Eightfold Path is the really thorough application of this very simple thing that we already know that we already build our life around, 
if any of us ever wanted to learn another language, learn an instrument, learn how to swim, learn how to get to somewhere else. We believed that we could follow a path, we could do a first step, we could do, there would be consequences of those steps and that we would gain greater proficiency, greater comfort, greater ease in doing whatever this new endeavor that we set up upon. The same is true with right view, is, or maybe I should say right view is that um, perspective. It's possible to walk on a path. It's possible to do something different. It's possible to make a difference. Our actions have consequences. And as we start to practice, we can see more clearly some actions lead towards suffering, stress, uncomfortableness. Some actions have as their consequences greater happiness, greater freedom, greater ease. So while this is simplistic, it's this idea of cause and effect, it really can be very powerful. Kim mentioned in her talk about how we have this voice that's kind of chattering in our mind, telling us things. The perspective we hold, the orientation we hold, influences what that voice is saying. Is it causing us a little bit more suffering or is it supporting us in our practice, in our life? So this perspective of cause and effect and actions have consequences and that our actions have consequences and that if we choose to have less suffering, we can therefore choose to do different actions that have a little bit less suffering in them. Or at least pay attention to, oh, When I do these things, have these types of thoughts, have these behaviors, say these things, it leads to these particular outcomes. Some are the outcomes I want, and some are perhaps are the outcomes I didn't intend. So that's the first part of right view, is just applying something that we already know, thoroughly applying it to all aspects of our lives. And believing that, and when I mean thoroughly, is to also include it to everything that we do and that we think and that we say. And without this understanding, there's really no way to change things. Instead, we're at the mercy of something else out there, whatever it may be. So this, having this perspective kind of gives us the confidence in which to walk a path, in which to do this practice. So that first part of right view, perspective of actions have consequences, in general, we can apply it to a very specific thing, a specific area of our life, a specific area of our experience, And that is our suffering. We can apply this perspective of actions have consequences to our suffering. That's the second part of right view. So this means that we look at our suffering in 
the best way that we can, in a way that's available to us at that moment. Sit upright, stand upright, kind of in a mature way, and look at our suffering. This isn't necessarily what we want to do. This isn't necessarily our first reaction to our suffering. This isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do. But it is simple. It's not complicated. We could just turn towards our suffering. And we can turn towards it with this perspective of actions have consequences. And we can see that suffering is a consequence of some actions. Suffering is an effect that has a cause. If we continue, continue to look at our suffering, we can see that that cause, what's underlying our suffering, what's fueling our suffering, what's keeping it alive, what's keeping it going, is a certain type of clinging, a certain type of attachment, a certain type of tension that underlies our suffering. And this movement of looking at our suffering and seeing what's underlying it, what's supporting it, that alone maybe can cause a shift, a slight shift in our suffering. Maybe I should pause for a moment and kind of talk about suffering for a little bit. There's the obvious suffering Many of us have these great um, troubles in our lives, but it's also, some translators use the word stress. Suffering can also be that just that nagging feeling of, mm, it's not quite right. I wish it were just a little bit different. Oh, it would be better if only this. Or, you know, it's that kind of lack of contentment that lack of satisfaction, kind of that lack of completely being settled and satisfied with where you are, that is, when I'm saying the word suffering, I'm including that, as well as the big giant problems that we all have in our lives. So our looking at our suffering with the perspective of actions have consequences Suffering is a consequence that has a cause. That cause is a certain type of attachment, clinging, holding on. That movement of looking at it alone can cause a small shift in our suffering. And with that small shift, that maybe it just changes the texture a little bit of our suffering. Maybe it just changes our understanding a little bit of our suffering. Maybe it just changes our relationship a little bit of our suffering. But that small shift that can happen, perhaps can turn suffering less into a big, black, permanent, behemoth block in our life, which is easy to do. It'll never go away. It'll always be like this. It always has been like this. Instead, if we can see, 
we can turn and look at it, we can see that there's a small shift that happens. And with that small shift, maybe it becomes less permanent in our mind. Like, oh, that's right. Our suffering does have a texture, or does have a... A, um, a movement to it perhaps maybe sometimes it's more intense than other times maybe sometimes it's not even present while we're worried about something else and with this seeing that there's a cause also to our suffering we can perhaps have the vision that those things that arise also pass away Those things that are created from conditions, if those conditions are no longer there, they will go away. This is very simple. We all know this in our lives. We're just applying something that we already know to a specific aspect of our life, and that is suffering. And with that vision that, oh, there can be a cessation to this suffering, there can be an end, we can use the Noble Eightfold Path as a tool, if you will, to help us find that cessation to the end of suffering. It can also help us see our suffering it can also help us see what is underlying that suffering and help us have the vision of the cessation of that suffering. So the Noble Eightfold Path is a way in which we can use to support us in our practice, in our life, in our interactions with suffering. So right view has two elements. The first is the recognition that actions have consequences, that what we do makes a difference. Then we can apply this general principle to a specific aspect, the aspect of our suffering. And when we do that, we can see that Suffering has a cause. It's a type of clinging. It's a type of holding. It's a type of attachment. Sometimes seeing that can help us see that that there's the possibility for a cessation of the suffering. It starts, stops becoming such a big, black, nameless, shapeless thing out there. Instead, maybe we could start to see the texture of it a little bit, the shape of it a little bit. Maybe it shifts a little bit. And we can use the Noble Eightfold Path as a way to help us, to support us in when we interact with suffering. So using the Buddhist language, the first part of the right view, actions have consequences, what we do makes a difference, It's called karma. And the second part, applying that view to suffering, seeing its cause, having the vision of that cessation, using the Eightfold Path as a way to help us see the suffering, its cause, and the cessation, 
using the Buddhist language, that's the Four Noble Truths. So the shorthand for right view can be karma and Four Noble Truths. But for me, when I first learned that, it felt kind of abstract and just another thing that I wrote down in my notebook and memorized and thought about. But it wasn't until I started to kind of unpack this and put it into this type of language as I first described it that it really came alive. And I really started to appreciate, oh, this is something I already do. This is something I already know. This doesn't have to be some crazy new thing. Maybe the unique Buddhist thing about this is the Noble Eightfold Path. And that's what we are here gathered today, is to explore this together, to learn it together, to practice it together, in a way that supports us, because part of community is definitely part of the Buddhist path, and has been a big part of my path, too. So let me see if I can say if there's one way that I can make this uh, less abstract and more uh, really tangible with a really mundane example. Let's see if I can do this. Maybe you guys can help me. Um, I'm a student now, and I find myself walking around carrying a bag full of lots of books. This bag is heavy. I walk around... Even when I'm not going to classes or something like this, I'm carrying this book that's like I'm walking lopsided, feeling uncomfortable. It's a certain type of suffering, being uncomfortable with this, walking around a little bit lopsided. I can bring my mindfulness, I can bring my attention to that, to notice that I am doing this. And I can think, at first look, oh, I have all these books in here. I can just simply take out a book. It's not complicated. This action has the consequence. My bag is lighter. I may perhaps not uh, walking around with this heavy thing. But if I continue to look, like why did I put those books in my bag in the first place? For me, it's because I have this idea that I need to know all this. You know, I need to be a good student. And I need to take advantage of every free moment I have. I must have my books with me at all times, just in case I have to wait for something and I can pull out one of my books and read it. So maybe that the second look at my suffering. In this particular case, I can see that. Maybe a third look at it, I can see like, oh, I don't want to misuse my time if I'm waiting I want to be able to read because I want to be a good student right and I want people to think of me as a good student I want people to think I'm a responsible person and do my homework or something like that that could be maybe a third look at the suffering of carrying a bag that's too heavy maybe the fourth look at it I can see oh maybe I just want people to notice in my class that I am taking this seriously. I'm kind of attached to this idea of myself. I want to take myself seriously as a student. I want other people to take me seriously as a student. And that's a subtle type of holding. It's a subtle type of clinging. 
But that's also underlined why I'm walking around with this pain on my shoulder carrying a heavy bag of books. And maybe to wrap this in a little bit with the Noble Eightfold Path, my noticing the first part, that's part of mindfulness. That's the seventh step. We'll get there. Part of the taking the books out or letting go or loosening or softening this idea that I have to be a certain way, that's part of right effort, the sixth step. Having a little bit more ease and having a little bit um, being more settled in my mind after I let go of this idea that I must be a big student or a good student about letting go of the idea of myself that I have, that leads to a little bit more settledness in my mind, a little bit more collectedness in my mind. That's part of the eighth step of the right effort. So here we are. This is a very simple, mundane example of how we can apply right view and how we can use the Noble Eightfold Path as part of our everyday life, as well as for the big things of our life, as well as the simple, mundane things. So right view, it's not a belief that you must adopt. It's a perspective that you can use to help you relieve your suffering. And it can help us understand our contribution to the suffering and what we can do to begin loosening those things that contribute to our suffering. Thank you. Okay, so um, thank you, Diana. Uh, Now we're going to break out into groups again. And can you guys hear me? Yes, great. Uh, Yes, go ahead. I have a question about suffering. Um, Maybe there are two kinds. Uh, I I feel pain and suffering. I'm a white person in America. If you're a white man, your life expectancy is four years longer than a black man. For me to be in a white America, be part of this, is painful to me. I don't think of it as something I'm trying to analyze and get rid of. I'd like it to be as less you know, painful so I can move forward and do something. But I feel like I get the impression of suffering is something you're trying to get rid of all the time. And I, I don't, what does Buddha say about something like that? Is it a mistake to suffer in that way? Can you repeat the question since she didn't, we didn't capture it? Oh, okay, so I'll repeat the question. So you feel pain and suffering for, for knowing that, that there's a differences in this in the America today with the life expectancy of a white man versus the life expectancy of a, a black man. Mm-hmm. And your question is, is that kind of suffering? Are we supposed to get rid of that as well? What does the Buddha say about this? Is that an accurate yeah. question? So maybe I should have spent a little bit more time making the distinction between pain and suffering. Pain is um, something that um, happens in our lives and that we feel it's unavoidable pain. But our relationship to that pain is where the suffering comes in. And more that's where the Noble Eightfold Path helps us, is our relationship to those painful things that happen in our lives. 
getting rid of all pain is impossible, nor should we think that it is possible or should we strive for it. The Noble Eightfold Path is really to help us see our contributions. How are we making those events that occur, these acknowledgement of the way that the world is in this particular way, how do we contribute to making that worse than it has to be? How do we contribute to um, the um, ongoing unease we have about it? That's the type of suffering we're talking about, not about the pain. Look at Shin Kwan and Kim. Would you like to add anything to that? So thank you for the question. Um, it did come up to me while you were talking. Um, so it's also offering us the opportunity to re- respond in more skillful ways to that which is already going to be uh, very challenging out in the world. All the things, like that's one example, but um, the Buddhist examples are going to be like old age, sickness, and death. Um, all those things that we are going to have to deal with in our lives. So, um, yes, it's not something we want to get rid of, but we want to be able to have some clarity around where we're adding unnecessary suffering and where are the moments and opportunities for us to respond skillfully with more wisdom, with more compassion. Okay, so um, uh, now we're going to break out into smaller groups. Of three. And again, I haven't done the math, but I think it'll be easier to count to three <laughs> than five. <laughs> so if you can find, um, you know, maybe two or three people that you haven't yet um, spoken with, and then I will uh, give you the question. Again, um, take a moment or two to reflect on the question and then really um, practice listening and give each person a few minutes or as long as they, well, not as long as they need, sorry, a few minutes <laughs> to respond. And uh, we're going to try and uh, fit two questions in this. So um, first question will be, what views, perspective, or framework can you bring to your practice of the Eightfold Path to support you? What views, perspective, or framework can you bring to your practice of the Eightfold Path to support you? Okay. You need an example? Okay. (laughs) I love that. Okay. (laughs) So one view would be, uh, maybe I don't have to be perfect and get everything right. (laughs) That might be a very supportive view as we... uh, go on any de- endeavor, right? So that's an example. So we might do a little searching, because I have a feeling all of us can think of ones that won't support us. <laughs> but this is why you take a little time to maybe figure out what can support you. Is that a little clearer? Okay, great. Um, I'll ring the bell after about um, 10, 12 minutes. Okay? That's the one question, and afterwards... That's the second one. Okay. <laughs> one at a time. One thing at a time makes it simpler. Okay. <laughs> All right. Up. Wow. I love the energy, but um, I, I've never not been able to hear the bell in this room. <laughs> so this says something. <laughs>
Okay, so, great. Um, Thank you guys for being so enthusiastic. I love it. Um, So um, we're um, each going to offer an example because, believe it or not, I had a very difficult time with that question, too. (laughs) Um, So an example for me of a framework that... um, that actually uh, supported me and continues to support me is, um, can I be open to what's happening rather than try and make something happen? And a perspective that I've been using that I found really helpful is that I don't have to do it perfectly. It doesn't have to be done completely perfectly. And sometimes I like to remind myself that um, my heart is coming from a good place. So if I'm engaged with my practice, it's out of an act of compassion and wisdom, and I should honor that and to trust what can come from my own heart. Okay, so um, great that the question was interesting for you. Maybe you guys can um, think about it more and maybe... um, have that that kind that's a kind of a question that you can have a talk with almost anybody about so um, I'm going to jump right into the next question because we're running out of time uh, so the next question and you can stay in your groups is what are some of your views of suffering and skillful ways of responding to suffering okay. what are some of your views of suffering and skillful ways of responding to suffering So again, we'll have about 10, 12 minutes. 